0: Below the Mason-Dixon, man, we do it from the dirt uh-huh. Bring the glory from the mud, find the joy in the hurt yep. When you work with red clay, you add the passion and the blood right. And the sweat and the tears, that compassion and the love What you get is a stage filled with voices from the South uh-huh. What you get is a page filled with stories from the South sure. What you get from the pen is revelry, out the mouth right. By the thumb, and some stump, what our history really about? For the ground is what we till in darker nights to brighter days Being here, still here, and more the work is on the way yeah. The South got something to say real
1: hey y'all how was your holiday season did you eat something yummy did you drink something good were you with people you love i hope you were this week we're gonna have a conversation with playwright thomas brazel last episode we got a snippet a sneak peek of smoked and now we're gonna talk a little bit about his work here's what i want you to know about thomas Thomas Brazel is an actor, writer, and director originally from Texas. He got his start training in child television and commercial performance at KD Studios in Dallas, Texas. After spending time studying abroad in London and Barcelona, Thomas returned to the U.S. to focus on creating new work and working in regional theater. He has performed at the Guthrie in Minneapolis, Shakespeare and Company, Cincinnati Playhouse, Connecticut Rep, The Alley, and many other regional theaters. His plays have been selected for readings and workshops nationwide. He is co-founder of the award-winning production company Wet Ink Productions based in Atlanta, Georgia, that focuses on reimagining classics and creating new works by artists from marginalized communities. Thomas also teaches theater performance for high schoolers at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia, and guest lectures at universities throughout Georgia. He is also the chair of programming for the Historic Morton Theater in Athens, Georgia. He graduated from Stephen F. Austin State University in 2008 with a BFA in theater and in 2014 from the University of Connecticut with a MFA in acting. Y'all, this is a really wonderful conversation. Just one content warning, there is a mention of the death of a child. So if that's something that's sensitive to you, just check the description box and we'll have the time marker for that. Other than that, sit back, enjoy this Awesome conversation with Thomas Brazel. Hey, Thomas, how are you today? Oh, I'm great. How are you
2: doing?
1: I am so good. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. You know, I think... I was definitely sad, and I know I speak for the rest of Mojoa when (laughs) we could not put on Smoke, the full production um, last year. But we know that when the world opens back up, we are ready. We we need all the comedies, so (laughs) we cannot wait to produce it in full. Um, But our audience heard a snippet from Smoke last week, and now we get to talk to you. And I'm just really grateful.
2: Oh, that's great. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful.
1: Of course, of course. So just want to start off like how you feeling, what you thinking about these days, like yeah. Yeah. What's going on over there? Wow,
2: yeah. I mean, um it it is definitely a crazy time right now. Um, but I honestly I I feel good. I really do, um, with the shifting climate. I, I think we are I think everyone's just really raw right now. Um, and, and after the events that happened in Washington, D.C., uh, what was that last week feels like a decade ago in a right. way, because it was just felt like it took forever to kind of get through it. But
1: Cause that week was the longest year ever. Yeah.
2: yeah. I was just like, oh, I'm pretty sure
1: we're st- in 2021.
2: What's going on? Uh, and it, it really was, um, yeah, it's like, I remember talking to my family and said, you know what? I'm not shocked by this. I'm just more just highly disappointed and Mm -hmm. and and just the hypocrisy that that goes around um it it was just (laughs) it it really just make you go you know we've been saying these things for so long especially as as a, a black community um and the things that we witness and see and it feels like it gets left on deaf ears and i felt that for all those um our representatives ever up there in DC I, I think it really came it hit I mean literally it was on that front porch it was on their steps and um, right. you know and I think it became really real for them what has been said that's been going wrong around, around the country and yeah. for for years now I mean I mean honestly going on decades almost up to a century if you century. know <laughs> it's just it's, it's been right. here and um, and just because you're not a witness to it doesn't mean it's not there. And um, and I just think, yeah, everyone's at a raw state and emotions are just coming out. And a lot of people are trying to figure out what they want to be, what they want to do, what they believe in, what they stand for, what they can and cannot stand for. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, some people are saying like there's lines in the sand being drawn and, and things like that, but... I think for me, um, it has been invigorating because I know what what I want to be doing in this world in terms of being an artist. And seeing those things tells me, yeah, there's that we need the art to break through. Like it's the art that that holds up the mirror to society and the world, and that that really lets people know it's like these are things we are all dealing with, and it's the art the community of arts, like coming to see it at a museum, a theater, a movie theater, online now, you know, you can go watching zoom plays, et cetera. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's, that's that safe haven that kind of allows you to step into these conversations and let it play out. And you, you, you dive into it for that time and you go away and you, hopefully you're having conversation about it um, in a safe way. You know, and I think yeah. what's, and what's, what's crazy, I guess, disappointing is like it's it was so dangerous and, we, you know, people lost their lives. And um, and I, I just, yeah, I just I really am like, you know, this this is a time where people are going to when we come out of this on the other side, where I think it's that question in the artistic community, too. It's like, what art stories are we going to start saying? Because mm-hmm. it it's almost feels like we cannot go back to let's transport blockbuster films to broadway
1: Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm.
2: um let's you know we've got to start unlocking more diverse works we got to have more diverse production crews more diverse companies more diverse directors and we got to start hearing all the voices because if we're going to be selective this is the stuff that happens because people feel like they're not being heard Mm -hmm. and all over the world and all over the country so um and I think art gives people that that um, vessel in a way to kind of be expressive.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and I think I was saying this other thing I said, you know, what happens is, is a lot of those people lost the ability to use communication, to use their words, so they result to violence. And that's and like, and I say it's opposite for <laughs> African-Americans in my opinion, is that we tried to use words. I mean, we were using art Renaissance, you know the Harlem Renaissance. You know we had great orators and speakers, and and just we tried everything in in peaceful ways. We're kneeling to to at on the national anthem to to raise awareness. You've got basketball players putting on their shirts, on their shoes, and commercials, Black Lives Matter, etc. And it's like it still falls on deaf ears, right? Mm -hmm. You know we're not going out, and you know we're not going to go storm our capital buildings because we feel like we're not being heard Um, because we know that wouldn't work neither exactly you know so it and that's why i say that hypocrisy felt like it was coming in and and growing up in texas i mean it it it, i have friends that i have on facebook and the things they were saying about like well i didn't see anyone getting up in arms about when black lives matter this and it's like you just really weren't paying attention to (laughs) this to what was happening before and what was happening then and there's so much about it that they're just, they want to tune out. But as soon as this come, flips around to them, here they come with all these conspiracy theories and you go, it's like theater. It's like, you guys are just making stuff up, you know? And oh yeah,
1: this is, this before, it's all performing. All performance, Definitely. right? So
2: it it's just, I mean, that's been the biggest thing in these past couple of weeks. It's just like, I'm really, <laughs> I feel like the everyone's like, now the, the masks are off and I'm really even more seeing people for who they really are.
1: (sighs) Thank you. Yes, I know (laughs) you are speaking so much of like what I'm feeling, what other folks are feeling. And it makes me wonder like, what art does this moment call you to make? Like Mm -hmm. particularly here, like you're in Georgia now, particularly in Georgia, like what what do you want to make out of this moment?
2: Right. I think that's important. I, I think it's like we have to really know what we are what we are saying with our art. I was actually doing a masterclass. I got it as a Christmas present. The masterclass series. Yes,
1: yeah, so the 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 website. Yeah. It's good. It's so
2: good. And I actually went through Spike Lee's independent filmmaking. And I love this thing he said about how he said it's a uh, very powerful thing that you hold in your hand when you are making this kind of art when you're making films or just writing and just art in general and he said that you have to be careful with it because it Mm. can it can provoke people can upset people can uplift people it can move people and um and honestly that's one of the reasons i got into being an artist is because i saw firsthand what it can do for people um, yeah. I, how did you, you know, get int-
1: I'm sorry. Go I, ahead. I was I'm say, yeah. How did you get introduced to theater in Texas?
2: Yeah. Um, it was, it was a, it was a kind of an interesting journey. So I was a class clown when I was probably like in fourth, fifth grade, like just, just cutting up all the time. And, uh, a, uh, teacher, I think it was my fourth grade teacher um told my mom said you're gonna have to get him into something to give him an outlet because he's just too much energy like he's great in class and doing his homework and he's very smart and but they're just like he gets this class riled up and laughing and i lose control sometimes (laughs) so um so my mom um after some thought put me in a uh acting uh program over the summer acting camp at kd studios and um, it was radio and television. And we met, i pretty sure it was like four times a week. And it was like for like three months. And it was awesome. And I had so much fun. And um, and then after that, I um, did, did, did a couple of things as a child actor. And then it kind of stopped. Because um, my mom wanted me to focus on school. It, you know, it kind of gets a little like, we got to pull them out of class to go do an audition and things like that. And she was like, "Nah, don't right. do all that." And um, and so I got back into it in high school, and I, it was really I I was first at Irving High School for my freshman and sophomore year of high school. Um, and I loved it. I loved the people. It was in Texas. It's like they have this thing called UIL, which is on University Interscholastic League and um, one-act play contest. So like all the high schools in Texas um, around in the spring, they put on a one-act play. And kind of like if you were like NCAA, like March Madness, like you go up against other schools and there's like one judge mm-hmm. and evaluates and two schools pass on and there's like five rounds. And each round you go to a different theater and the biggest round of finals, state finals is at the University of Texas in Austin. So um, that was always fun. It was like this thing that you love to do. You got to see all these other schools, plays. You meet all these other students doing theater. And, um, and then my mom moved to Arlington. And I remember having this moment of like, I had s- such a great family in Irving in terms of my mm. theater friends. And I remember mm-hmm. going to Arlington and being like, and Arlington compared to Irving was like, it was like, Saks Fifth Avenue was Arlington and Irving was like maybe Burlington coat factory, you know, in terms of quality. So it was like, I was so intimidated. I was like, I'm going to go here. I'm not going to get nothing. Whereas in Irving, I felt like I was this big fish doing great things. And I went there and I said, well, I'll audition for the first play and see how it goes. So um, I remember feeling a little isolated um, because it was mostly predominantly white program, but Everyone was really, really nice. And some of them I'm still close friends with to this day. And um, and I just was like, wow. And, we, and then, so I did their first show as their lead in this like um, kind of Princess Bride type play. And it was mm. a lot of fun. And then, um, then they did their musical. Now, mind you, I hadn't done a musical ever in my life. So I wasn't <laughs> going to audition at all. And so I didn't and I got a call from the head of the, the department and she was like, Hey, you're not coming in for gospel auditions. And I was like, Oh no, I, 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 I haven't done a musical. She's like, well, do you sing? I was like, yeah, church and stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, I know I've, I play piano. I, I can read music, but I, I just never done a musical. And she was like, come on in, come down, just come to the school. And I, I was in walking distance to the school. So I was like, sure. Okay. So I went in and like, they're laughing behind the desk where they're like the, um, the faculty. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is going on? And so the music director was like, come on down, Thomas. And I was like, oh gosh. And he's like, so what do you want to sing? Just, we can sing anything you want. And I was like, well, honestly, off the top of my head, I'd probably sing some Disney, you know? And so he's like, okay. So I sung some Disney and they said, do you know any, can you sing like a, um, a, a religious song, you know, something probably in the vein of Jesus. And I was like, and they started laughing. I didn't know what God spell was. <laughs> right? So I'm looking at them like, what's so funny? And I was like, "Uh, I guess I could sing, uh, you know, I guess, uh, uh, what is it? I can't remember what song. I sung some uh, hymn. And then they're like, so we're just going to be blunt. We really want you to play the lead. And I looked at them, I was like, Oh, uh, okay. excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I don't know this musical. They're like, and the director, music director was like, well, there's a lot of singing, but I will work with you every day and you can do this. I, You can do this. And I was like, OK, OK, I, I, sure. I'll you know what? Why not? You guys, I, I believe that you're not going to let me be terrible. And so we did the show and it was a lot of fun. So the opening night, there was a child. a. Uh, I say a child because I'm older now, but a student um, that died in a drunk driving accident, like the week before we open. And um, I think he was hit by a drunk driver, if I was not mistaken. But he Mm. was uh, he he came from a single mother household. So the neighborhood that he lived in, all of the parents got the mother out the house because she hadn't stepped out the house since he died. Like that whole week. She was so depressed. And they took her to the show. And at the end of the show, we did this thing where we're all dancing on stage and all the cast runs out into the audience and dances with the audience and stuff and has these great moments. And I was new to the area like it was literally maybe the second and like two and a half months into the school year. And I just didn't know anybody except for like the people I was in the show with. So I kind of I would always just sit on the stage and just kind of watch. Um and she came up bawling her eyes out. And I didn't didn't know who the lady was, but I had heard about the the story. And um and she said to me verbatim, I'll never forget the words, she said, I want to thank you so much for your performance tonight because it restored my faith in 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 Jesus and in 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 God. And I felt like my son and the Lord was telling me that it's going to be okay. And I can let my anger go at what happened to mm-hmm. him. And mm. I just looked at her. And I said, wow, I, I'm glad that you feel the way she said, thank you, please. And she said, you have a gift. Do not give up on it. And mm. she walked off and I just remember being like shook. Cause I was like, Whoa, she got that from a musical. And and I remember my our director, the head of the department, came up to me because I think she kind of overheard and said, what is she saying? I told her, and she said, that's a gift that you should always hold on to. And I have. And I tell people that is the moment when I said, this is what I want to be doing. Wow. Yeah,
1: that's big. That's such a big moment for a young person. I mean, even anytime someone speaks life over a young person's dreams or their gifts or abilities, but particularly for that. That woman. So wherever she is, like, thank you for giving us Thomas Brazel so much. Right. Um. <laughs>
2: yeah, it is crazy. I'm like, if I didn't choose to go, do that audition or whatnot, like if I didn't pick up the phone when the director called, it's like, it's, it's. I wonder where I would be because I feel like yeah. that was that moment. Like that was one of those moments where I, I took a leap of faith to do something I was scared to do. Mm-hmm. And um, it's always that learning moment. I look back on that moment and say, you know, don't be scared. You never know where it's where where it's taking you.
1: So that was how we got Thomas Brazel. The after, I'm curious around like your journey as a playwright, around mm. what has called you to write, and um, yeah, yeah, like how'd you how'd you get how'd you start writing?
2: Yeah, um, let's see. When it came to writing plays, that didn't start really happening for me until until college. Um, I worked with a great playwright. Um, I had a class with uh, Jack Hefner um, on playwriting in my, I think my senior year of college, my undergrad year. And I, I loved it and enjoyed it. And um, when I graduated, I studied overseas for like a year. And that was eye opening because I saw a lot of new work. Because when you go overseas, a lot of times, I mean, there's the West End in London. Of course, they they have like all the big shows are going to go to Broadway or the Broadway shows are transferred. But there's a lot of like really good smaller theater companies doing stuff in the West End, and so I would see a lot of new plays for super cheap. Mm-hmm. And and so I would be like fascinated and the crazy thing is like you can meet a lot of the playwrights afterwards you can you haven't because it's such an artistic community in london i mean they've been doing it a lot longer than america and they just there's just such a it was fascinating to really meet all these people and see just like how they nourish and they want to tell these different stories because the stuff i knew is the stuff i was taught in undergrad which is all like the American classics, you know, and, mm-hmm. and maybe a sprinkle of August Wilson or something, you know. <laughs> so uh, so when I got back to the States, um, I had this kind of moment where I was doing plays. I was getting a lot of work. I was doing well, but I felt like I was doing the same stuff. And a lot of the stories that I was involved in, I was just kind of like, either like the token type black guy character or the angry black guy or the comedic black guy. And I just was like, and it was a lot of just saying it, white male playwrights. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just was like, where, where are the, where are these other stories? And um, so I just was like, I took this moment. My mom had said to me, she's like, you know, she's like, you you know seek them out you know you know research research you know it's like don't complain you know do what you can and i was like okay and i remember a uh actor by the name of david rainey he's still at the alley theater was talking about you know how grad school is one of the things he did i think he went to juilliard and he was talking about how it just really was a big impact on his life as an artist it just opened up new doors And so I thought about it and I said, let me go to, let me do that. And I got into the University of Connecticut for MFA in acting, but they had such a good program that was balanced in like, you really learned how to develop new work at the same time. Mm. And I just, just from all my teachings there and stuff, I really found my love for writing again that I found when I was in Jack Hefner's class. And, and I just started saying, you know what, I'm just going to start writing. I'm just going to start writing. Stories, characters, monologues—just write, just write, and whatnot. And and then I started having some of my classmates read my plays, and there was a lot of great feedback. And I, when I moved to New York, when I started seeing the smaller little companies that are sprinkling in and out of there, that are trying to do stuff, and I and I saw like all the playwriting competitions and stuff. I was like, man, I'm just going to submit this thing I wrote in grad school. And it got picked up for a reading. And then another mm. thing got picked up for a reading. And I was like, I really like being on this side of the table. Like, mm. what, letting actors take these words and have these conversations and fine tune these stories. Because I felt like I was giving something new and fresh. And and there was all these voices in my head. All these characters were just trying to get out. And... um. And it really hit me, the importance of writing new stuff. Um, When I started doing a lot of regional theater and you would see the seasons and you go in for these auditions and you're like, where? And again, that question came up, where are the black playwrights? Where are the people of color? Where are these things at? And I said, you know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to be a part of the the solution and I'm going to start writing. And I worked with, um, this great playwright on a workshop of one of her plays that's now gone off and had a world premiere and was is very successful. Um, Donetta Lavinia Gray's, um, mm-hmm. yes, and she's fantastic, and she has been honestly a big inspiration for me. Um, just in the sense of like why she writes and just how she writes and just the confidence in what she writes and how she's like I'm I'm birthing something that hopefully will live beyond me and you know will continue telling these stories for years to come and and i was like you know that's something you can't put anything on like that's that's special so i was like you know what i'm gonna and that's when i just started really diving in and i honestly tell people it's great it actually helps me as an actor um because i i'm just constantly fulfilled so I don't put as much pressure on myself when it comes to an audition anymore because I feel like I kind of just want to get back to what I was writing or working on.
1: <laughs> That's, you know? real. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. So I think that takes us right into Smoked. So our listeners got to uh, hear an excerpt uh, last week. Mm-hmm. I'm just so curious about, like, wh- how, where that story came from, those characters. Um, tell me a little bit about how you came to Smoked.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So I would say the biggest inspiration where it started for me was um, I was living in Harlem um, when I was in New York and I saw literally within the span of a year, how gentrification was happening there. Like there's this one strip and I've wished it's one thing about New York. It's like, I don't remember names. I just remember like landmarks and it's kind of like it's right across from um, Adam Clayton. I think it was like Adam mm-hmm. Clayton or something. But they ripped out this one section and they built like this multi-story like complex that has like Burlington Coat Factory, Whole Foods. It's literally a block from the Apollo. And it just feels like like they're just invading, you know? And you see people, homeless people on the streets and you're just going like, goodness gracious, what's happening to this area? There's like... There's like murals that are getting torn down. They're on buildings. And um, and I just remember being like disheartened by that. Um, and it, and then the other thing is when I started seeing the colleges, there's, um, what's his name? Columbia's right up there. So they started taking out buildings, buying them up that would just kind of foreclose or whatnot, and they would make them into dorms. And so you're just like, there's no culture left. Like it's literally starting to look like, like disneyland over here like i mean mm-hmm. you, you didn't. and so i was like this is not Harlem." and i wrote like a little snippet of doc's character talking about and i don't know if i kept in the play now I think about it but it was kind of the start was like this thing about like the road i walk and and um the things i've seen and it's just about like how everything's changing because it was like this idea for me was as an actor i would I was living in Harlem, I would go away to do a contract for like two or three months, come back, and I'd be like, when did that pop up? Go Mm. back, come back again, I'm like, what in the world is this? It's like, it was just changing constantly. And so, and then I really was like, I really wanna write something that's a homage, that's kind of like a love letter to my uncles in Alabama on my dad's side and that's kind of where joe and jake came from Mm -hmm. they um they're kind of like a they're a mesh of like my uncles and my dad like literally like there's two characters but there's probably about four people in each one and Mm -hmm. um and just their relationship and and just kind of the the animosity between the brothers and for my dad and his closest brother that's still living. It's like, there's kind of a distrust there for many reasons. And, um, and it just was something I just was like, I need to get this on the page. Cause it's just a memory. I remember having growing up, like going there in the summers when we have family reunions and you would be in the neighborhood, my dad and my mom grew up in, and it's like dirt roads. And it's like, predominantly all black neighborhood and it's just everyone's on the street every day and we're just all like playing little kickball or we're we're fooling around in the fields like doing stupid stuff like going to get firecrackers and poppers and putting them in class coke bottles and you know <laughs> just just ridiculousness and so the were, children right oh we were nuthead. we're just hard-headed <laughs> and so the uh so a lot of the conversations that these guys have in the bar in the uh, barbecue joint is uh, some of the stuff that I would hear like when I was growing up in barbershops or doing those summers over in Alabama, and um, and just the pace that they talked at, it mm-hmm. just was like this rhythm. Like it just everyone's just going, you know, nonstop. And the, the number of times I probably heard the N word, and I think that's probably when I started hearing cuss words the most, and. <laughs> Just was like just in shock all the time, and just loved it though, because it was just there was so much, even with all of the crazy animosity that might have been going on between the siblings, there was so much joy, like I just remember mm-hmm. hearing all this laughter, all the joking, and even when I go and visit like my parents are divorced now, so I usually am um I always usually see my mom's side. And my fiance says this, she's like, every time we come, there's just so much joy and laughter. Like, there's constantly laughter all the time. Like, we're just, and and that's where I think my sense of comedy comes from, because we're just a bunch of wisecrack jokers in my family. Like, we just always drop in jokes. And, um, and so the play, though, itself, it was this merging of my personal life growing up. And the conversations I heard, but also the things I was seeing happening, not only in Harlem, but back home in Texas yeah. throughout the state. And it's happening in Austin right now. A lot of the tech is, uh, companies are coming there, Apple, Amazon, et cetera. And they're pushing these black neighborhoods out.
1: Yeah, it's happening in Durham, where I am, too.
2: Yeah. Um, and it's it's really sad. And it's um, i rather we see more... Th- people invest and build up those communities instead of saying, we're building it up by putting in a quote unquote better store. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you can invest in a community and help them thrive without basically pushing them out and claiming, Oh, this is better for you. Trust me. And you're just like, you don't even know what these people are about what their community, what they, what they value. And so the, the stories were a lot of research that I did, um, and and just southern southern folk tales and things like that that I kind of mixed together a couple of little haunted t- stories and stuff to make the story of the violet the ghost of the violet city, um and and then a lot of the um the stuff about what I'm trying to think about um well like um Patillo coming in... This, yeah and it's really. It was really just this kind of story, this idea of like, there's these people that have this place, they've had their whole lives, and what is it to watch it deteriorate before your eyes? Yeah. And it's like it doesn't happen overnight. And if I feel like the moment, not, well, I'll probably spoil it for someone, but.
1: Yeah, no. don't spoil it because they haven't, they only got an excerpt. Oh, okay, They got to yeah. come and see the whole show.
2: Well, there's a big moment in the past, I'll say this much. That I mm-hmm. feel is the start of this deterioration of the right. barbecue joint, and yeah. I feel like the one thing that the play is really about this idea of stories do need to be passed on to keep the like I feel like stories are the bloodline of a of our African American race. Like I feel like mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. mom talks about this a lot. Like she's like I send you and my bro- my brother. She sends she says I send you and Alex pictures of me because, you know, I don't know how much longer I'll be here. And I just want y'all to be able to have those, to just mm. have these memories because when it's gone, it's gone. And it's like, yeah. you know, know where you came from, know your know your ancestry and things like that. And that's always been a big thing about her, uh, my mom that she instilled on both of us about this importance of knowing your history, knowing your past um, and seeking it yourself. Because a lot of times, you're not going to be, it's not going to be handed to you um, just because of who who we are and where we were growing up. Um, And so this play is really about lineage and passing these things on. And and I feel like the younger generation, like that's going to be something that I feel like we all, that's what we take on. It's like, how do we keep that momentum? How we keep those stories alive? Um, And so Yeah, I mean, that's really what it came from. And then the idea of calling it smoked. um, There's so many iterations of smoked throughout the play. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. the food. um, It's about people using other people up. um, Fire, damage. um, Yeah, the cigarettes. I mean, I try to use it in so many different connotations that it's not just one thing. Um, But the backdrop, I forgot to say this. I know it's so much. There's so much that came to this play. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the backdrop of the barbecue joint was it's really an inspiration from one of my first jobs when I lived in New York. I worked at a barbecue joint called Mighty Quinn's Barbecue and just how they operate is literally how we operated the barbecue joint. And um, and the and just yeah. And just kind of the people, the younger people that I hung around are kind of inspirations of the younger characters in the play. Mm hmm.
0: Mm
1: hmm. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I think it's so evident in for I had the pleasure of reading the whole play Mm -hmm. and not just an excerpt, but it's so evident in the language that, you know, these people and Mm -hmm. that you love them. So I think particularly thinking about Joe and Jake, it makes complete sense that they are an amalgamation of your dad and your uncles because there's so much love and reverence for these characters even when they're making decisions and saying things and doing things that we as an audience or as a reader may not agree with or understand or whatever yeah there's so much care for them and i think for me that is one of the reasons why i really love southern black playwrights and the stories that we tell because I feel like other folks don't always love us. Like they write about Southern folks or Southern yep. Black folks or Black folks in general, but it's so evident that like, but you don't love that person, mm-hmm. like do you? You know, yeah, and just like for all the characters that are in the play, it's just like. It just, it's just so clear that like you know them. You know the musicality of the barbershop, of people talking mess over like a game of dominoes, like mm-hmm. or a game of cards. Like it's just in your blood, right? Yeah. So you didn't have to go like research that. You didn't have to go right. like, watch the movie to find that. So I I just I love that and it was one of the reasons why I was so excited to produce it and still am very excited to produce it. On top of the fact that I feel like we don't see enough like hearty sink your teeth in roles for mm-hmm. older black folks. Yeah. Yeah, I so agree. They, yeah. 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 So there are so many folks like Vincent Drayton and um who were just like, man, like oh, this is I can they just could not wait. They were just giddy to play these parts because yeah. they don't get the opportunity to play like parts like this. Um yeah. and I saw so I would love to know more about like when you think of the other stories that you're working on or the other plays that you're either have written or are stewing around in your brain, mm-hmm. like how do you think about character and an actors being that you you are also an actor? How do you think about those things when you're crafting?
2: Yeah, I, it really, for me is um I think like for those actors that are like they want something meaty to to sink their teeth into um, I, when I write these characters. And um, a lot of times I want to make sure every character is heard. Like you get just at least get something from them that you can feel like you, you know them and maybe you want to know even more about them by the end of it. But I, I personally, for me, it's like, I, I hate it when I feel like a character is just put in to serve another character. Sometimes like, I just really like, but what are they about other than like, I know that it's technically in this way, it's supposed to help this or whatnot in terms of telling the story. But it's like, I just want to know like, what are you about? And um, that's just something personal for me as a writer um, that I try to make sure I honor for every character I put in that there's something enough for the actor to feel like, yeah, I feel like I've tapped into something whole in this character and they're not two dimensional, but they're three dimensional hmm And yeah. yeah. And a lot of times for me, the stuff like I'm working on now and things is it comes from a lot of reading. Um, I I like to read a lot of nonfiction biographies or histories, um, read a lot of magazine articles randomly. And sometimes it could be as simple as just like pictures as well. Like I'll go on Pinterest when I'm bored or something at work and I'll just be like, let me take five minutes just to kind of search something just look at stuff and just kind of reset my mind. And it's amazing how just something, a quote I could read in a book or a magazine or a picture I see that sparks this whole nother world. Um, mm-hmm. it's like, right now I'm going on this journey of like revisiting, like my childhood growing up. And it's like this, this thing I'm writing about a group of boys that, um, it's right now it's centered around this, um, these thing like when we grew up in Irving, there's a group of my friends that I made there. And there was a thing called, we call it the tunnels. It was the tunnels, but, um, they went underneath this major freeway in Irving that if you took it on the other side is the mall. So it's like this way for us to like to get to the mall during the summers, we'd be like, all right, let's go through the tunnels. But the tunnels was like something out of like stephen king's it like it's super dark (laughs) nasty water everywhere and so everyone just like
0: "Ooh, you're too scared to go
2: through the tunnels and and so we'd always make up these haunted stories because you have to walk through this big field that had grass that would go up to your shoulders so you'd always be like there's something in the in the field are we going to make it to the tunnels and it's like always like people running around trying to scare each other and then like you get to the tunnels and and so i'm just like revisiting that but i read this um thing in a in the newspaper about um, it's kind of sad. It was like about there's this um, there was this homeless person that was, I can't remember where the area was that was like living in these tunnels or whatever. That was basically like the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then like was brutally murdered by these mm-hmm. boys. Um, and there's like, there was this, I think a case of like, was it self-defense and stuff like that? And, or was it a hate crime? Cause he was a black man the homeless mm. man and they were white. And, um, and so it's kind of like, I'm starting to think of like, what, what if there was something in those tunnels and what would it have been like if we discovered it? And, um, and so it's kind of like, it's, I don't know what it will be, but those are things that like that kind of just start sparking conversations and I journal a lot. And then something tends to happen.
1: I, I love that. Just like, the epic like we deserve epic stories you know in that mm-hmm. like that has the making of a, like epic coming of age story um yeah i want that yeah so thomas what are you dreaming for southern black theater like what is your dream for southern black theater
2: oh i would love for it to just be um thriving and just and just stay true to its roots um, you know, it's one of these things I, I wanted to continue to grow. I would love for it to be like this, just across the board, all across what I call like the, um, like the Gulf line in a way, or just the Southeast in general, all of that, where it's like, you can go to all these States and you know, there's these pockets of like hubs of artistic creativity going on. And like, everyone's like, almost like a family community where every actor knows every other actor in the area and they're all supporting each other and they're all making work for each other they're. And it not only it's like, it feels like it's an incubator in a way. Like we, we really nurture our stuff and we get the right people behind it in that it can just spread out everywhere, not just in America, but just worldwide. Like I would love for a Southern playwright like Donetta, like just to be able to have her thing go from here and go to London and you know, and, and just really just for just the voice to be heard, because like you were saying earlier, it's like, there's a love that we put into our, our work because we're trying to really explore truth. of mm-hmm. our experience. And so I would love to know that I'm going in and I'm, I'm going to be affected like the way that that woman, when I was a, high school student was affected that it's it's just kind of transformative um because i i don't want it to be like in my opinion it's like i don't want it to go commercial and i feel like it's at least in atlanta it's on that tiptoe thing right now where it's like Mm -hmm. is it gonna Mm -hmm. tip over that way um and and i just want us to really just continue to know that we have so much talent throughout this whole southeast In the South in general, and just everyone to really get connected and really build something special here. Like, I just, sky's the limit, I feel, but I think it's also just careful not to um, get carried away to a point where we hit a point where we can't go back in a
1: way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well Thomas, in so many ways I am we are dreaming the same dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I I want that. I want a I want an ecosystem of like southern black theater makers where it's like we're gonna do Thomas's work in North Carolina and then Thomas is taking a work from North Carolina and doing it in Georgia and someone's mm-hmm, doing it mm-hmm. in Tennessee and we know each other and people are like touring their work and coming and having dinner and like yeah. you know, we're fans you know like I I want that I, I, I want us to have that and I want us to feel also I want to have stories where my grandma gets to be the hero you yes. know mm-hmm. Like I want parts for my mama to play because she's a bomb actor <laughs> and I want her to have meaty ridiculous funny roles to sink her teeth into yes. you know I want I want our audiences to be able to come to the theater and, like, see themselves and know that this is a love letter, you know?
2: Yeah, that's exactly so, what I think, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you for creating work that's already in, like, doing that. Thank and you. I <laughs> can't wait for the world to open back up safely so that Mojoa can produce Smoked. <laughs> um, we were so ready. We had a food truck lined up. It was, oh, it was so great. Yeah, like I heard. Oh, man, it sounds oh, so food. much fun. Oh my gosh! So it's it's okay. It's okay. We're gonna do it. It's gonna be better than ever. Uh, we get to have this conversation. So in Thomas, before we uh, get off, mm-hmm. where would you like to be found on the internet, and where can we find out more about your work?
2: Yeah. Um. So you can find out about anything that I'm creating, um, through my production company, Wedding, uh, Wedding Um. That's W H. E T I N K dot com. Um, we called it that because it's wet in a sense of like, um, stimulating your appetite or sharpening a blade or a weapon. Um, dope, dope. yeah, and that that company we 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 work with reimagining classics through intersectionality, so we look at um, interlacing like race, gender, sexuality, and class, and disability, and nationality and just really fostering new works by artists of marginalized communities. Um, so we do that with film and theater. Um, and right now, the biggest thing we're working on is the reboot of a web series that we, that we wrote and produced. We produced a, basically a, um, what do you call it? A, a test pilot, basically, for it. Um, mm-hmm. And it went really well. That's what's been through the um, festivals. And we won a Best in Fest, um, Best Series, um, just recently, internationally. And it's been, had a lot of, like, uh, semi-finalists and finalists awards and things. It's gone really well. And basically, um, that series is called Infinite Jest. And what I did with my fiancé, we took the entire canon of Shakespeare and we put it all into one world today. And it's all of the characters in the same world dealing with the issues we're running with today. And it's set in a comedy much like um, The Office or Parks and Rec. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, the characters talk like how we've been talking, but they only speak in <laughs> Shakespeare whenever it's like a very heightened situation. Um, and it's outrageous. And the characters are all either we've, change the race. So we're not doing it. Like I, like we said, we're tired of seeing Shakespeare done with just predominantly white cast, like what we call Mm -hmm. the default cast of Shakespeare. And so we've switched race. We switched gender. Um, We've just, we've totally mixed it all up. So we can start, like you said, raise a mirror to society and let people see themselves through the work. And we felt that young kids, especially with Shakespeare tend to, respect it more understand it more or gravitate to it more on when it's reflecting the world they live in um right and so that's really the process behind it and um so yeah that's like our big thing we have a couple of um documentaries we're trying to get um spearheaded and uh um some other content as well so just definitely go there wetink.com, and check out what we're doing we're also um fiscally sponsored by Fractured Atlas so a 501c3 nonprofit and definitely if you want to reach out and donate through there to us we we'd be more than happy to help us get our get our things off the ground there's a lot of good things we're trying to do and we'd love to re- connect to people all throughout the southeast because it is a South, southeast um, based company um and then you can find me personally um at thomasbrazil.com and yeah, all my stuffs there about what I've been doing as an actor, as a writer and as a director. Um, and woo, it's, that was a big thing this past year is directing other people's projects in this time and helping them get those things off the ground. And it's been a lot of fun. I've, I've, I've really, that's another thing I'm tapping into that I find that I love. And I find, I feel like, um, my, I just had a new boss at my office start this Monday and, uh, she asked me, it's like, where do you see yourself in like five, five, ten years? And I told her, it's like, you know, honestly, I want to be at a point where all I'm doing is self-producing. Like I just my company's thriving and that's all I'm doing. Like I want to get to that point. And, um, yeah. you know, so this is a good start for that. And I, I'm really excited for what's to come.
1: Well, we are excited with you. We are manifesting that. Uh, May it even come sooner than five years. Um, Yeah, amen. Yes, 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 yes. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for spending your time with us this afternoon. Mm -hmm. It was such a pleasure speaking with you, and I can't wait to read and see and experience more of your work.
2: Thank you so much.
1: All right, and y'all. Until later, love you. Yeah, we went some places in that one. We did. I will say one of the gifts of doing this podcast is talking to playwrights across the South and I've adopted some folks. So like me and Thomas are cousins. Uh, <laughs> shout out to all our play cousins out there. And now I want to say thank you again to Thomas for that conversation. I want to thank our sound engineer, Only Us Media. I want to thank Tassana Hano for that funky theme song produced by Scott Warren. And our funders, the Black Seed Grants, man by stock theater cypress fund triangle community foundation the united arts council and folks like you there are so many ways that you can be part of the mojoa fam you can follow us on facebook find us on instagram all that info is in the description box and you can visit our website at www.mojoa.org that's m-o-j-o-a a and there you can learn about the company if you are a southern black playwright or a black trans playwright from the south you can submit your work we would love to read it and if the spirit moves you you can drop something on our donations page and invest in southern black playwrights y'all you know what time it is and you know
0: Below the Mason Dixon, man, we do it from the dirt uh-huh. Bring the glory from the mud, find the joy in the hurt When you work with red clay, you add the passion and the blood right. And the sweat and the tears, add compassion and the love What you get is a stage filled with voices from the South uh-huh. What you get is a page filled with stories from the South sure. What you get from the pen is revelry, out the mouth right. By the thumb and some stump, what our history really about? For the ground is what we till in darker nights, to brighter days Being here, still here, and more the work is on the way yeah. The South got something to say real.